Hey, good morning. Welcome to Chapel Hill. My name is Ellis. I'm one of the pastors here. We want to connect with you. And one of the ways you can do that is with one of these connection cards. So we'd love you to grab that uh, and, and fill out. There's a, there's a, I know we already did the offering, but there's a box at the back that you can drop that in. A couple of things coming up I want to let you know about first is at 12.15 today. If you are interested in coming down to Mexico with the men, we promise this to be a fantastic trip with our new mission partner, Agua Viva. We're meeting for a little interest meeting, 12.15, in the prayer chapel over there. And then the second thing to let you know about is a uh, marriage seminar called Hashtag Married Life that's coming up in February. And we caught up with a young couple, Jake and Michelle, who have uh, sat under the leadership of Andy and Paula Ainsworth. Andy and Paula Ainsworth are going to be teaching this seminar, and so they've, they've sat under that and, and their marriage mentorship, and they want to share some of their testimony of what that's been like for them. Coming from a, a kind of a broken marriage situation with my parents in a broken family home, um, I knew that having a strong marriage was going to be vital in um, the raising of our children. And listening to these radio shows that had these family counselors on them, I kind of discovered how important it is to have a strong marriage relationship and how that can be key to um, giving your children um, self-purpose and value. Our marriage has definitely been strengthened by... For sure, communication. So we both came, obviously, into marriage with our own expectations of what that would be, and it didn't fit. (laughs) So um, getting help with our marriage has helped us understand more about who we are and the way we are. It's helped us know myself so that I can help him figure out who I am, and then gives us compassion for each other. Through that, we've had to ask a lot of questions and have conversations that we wouldn't usually have or conversations we didn't think we needed to have. And because we were put in those awkward situations or even like asked to talk about those type of things, it has opened up our communication. And so now there's things that we'll just talk about immediately instead of it having to get so bad to a point where it's a big deal or a big argument. Well, I think it's absolutely necessary and um, crucial to have God interwoven within not, not only our marriage, but um, the way we raise our children and just the way we live our lifestyle. I think the curriculum in this marriage seminar and the way it's presented is very um, applicable to everybody's marriage, no matter what part or what stage of your marriage that you're in. Um, so I think um, it's such an easy step to at least set the groundwork um, to help improve, honestly, your life for the rest of your life, your marriage for the rest of your life. Um, so I think it's um, something that can be easily done with just, honestly, just this, I say, short marriage seminar. And um, the little work that you can put into it now, it's going to be fruitful for the rest of your life. Love those two. Would love you to come join us on Saturday, February 10th. For that, I can personally attest to the power of Andy and Paulette, who are going to be leading that seminar. Myself and Rachel have benefited greatly from their ministry, so would love you to come join us. Um, I'm the last one left standing right now. I feel, I feel like... <laughs> I feel like we've, we've all been in the trenches here, ready to go to battle on the weekend, right? And I've... I've got everyone else on either side of me, and Bill, Bill popped off to Thailand, so he's, he's like out the picture, and then Mark got taken down on Wednesday, and he's lying on the floor, and then Larry went down on Thursday, and then this morning, Pastor Megan went down, so that's it, it's me left, so this is what you got. 
Um, last, last week, we, uh, there was a, a woman in our service who received medical attention. just wanted to bring you an update. She's doing just fine. Uh, thank you for all your prayers for that. Uh, God really answered them. And this week, the soda stream saga continued. Um, the gas canister ran out. I had to go get a new one. I, I still haven't taken it apart. And, and so um, I, as I brought it back, I had to, I had to refit it. And my, my sister, who's been staying with us, and my, uh, my wife, Rachel, they decided to play a little bit of a, a joke on me. Um, so have a look at this video. Are you reading the instructions for that soda stream, Alice? That's pretty That's dangerous. Right. That's beforehand. Whoa. <laughs> I can't believe we're using your intuition to... Stop, don't, that's not fun. I always have the last laugh. Last week, we were in Romans chapter 7, we were hearing Paul telling us, we don't have to obey the instruction manual anymore. We don't have to obey the law. But instead, we have a new power, because the law was powerless to overcome our sin, and this new power is the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that guides us into righteousness, and that empowers us to overcome sin. These next six weeks, we're going to be diving into the next chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 8, we're going to kind of sit here, and Romans 8 is all about the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be picking up where we left off in many senses. And I think Romans chapter 8, it's undoubtedly the best chapter in the book of Romans, but it may be the best chapter in the entire Bible. I remember being age 21, I was so captivated by Romans chapter 8 that I decided I wanted to read it every single day for a month. And I did. And and, and the truths that are contained within it are are so life transformational. I mean, there's, there's no condemnation in Christ. We have power to overcome sin. We've been adopted into God's family. Our eternity is secure. God is working all things together for our good and nothing can separate us from God's love. I mean, come on. If you're not pumped about these next six weeks, you're going to be pumped by the end of this morning, I'm telling you. You're going to make these next six weeks a priority because you're going to be transformed by the words that we're going to be studying. So, Romans 8. One of, the, one of the things about Romans 8 is how much it mentions the Holy Spirit. Up to this point in Romans, Paul's mentioned the Holy Spirit five times. This chapter alone, he mentions it 21 times. I say it, the Holy Spirit's a he. He mentions the Holy Spirit 21 times, more than any other chapter in the Bible. And I know that for many of us, the Holy Spirit is kind of this weird third person of the Trinity that we don't quite understand. Right? We've got the Father, we can get that, he's God, we got him down. We've got the Son, Jesus, yeah, read about him in the Gospels, understand him. But the Holy Spirit, he's kind of this like, third person that a lot of us struggle to kind of comprehend. The Bible's really clear, the Holy Spirit's as much God as the Father is God and the Son is God. They're all one, they're all unified. And the Holy Spirit has been present from the very beginning in the creation account. We read about the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit plays a very important role in the life of the believer. And that's what we're going to be hearing about these next six weeks, is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And it starts today in Romans 8. So I would love you to grab a Bible or a phone. It's going to be on the screen as well. And turn to Romans 8. And just to help kind of set some context to this, as we've been journeying through this book of Romans this year, really Paul, here he's actually going to pick up an argument that, that he was kind of 
getting to the end of in Romans chapter 5, and then he took a little diversion for chapter 6 and 7. He dealt with some objections about sin and the law. And so in a sense, Romans chapter 8 is picking up where chapter 5 left off. And if you don't remember what happened in the first five chapters of Romans, don't worry, it was before Thanksgiving, so we've all forgotten about that. Here's a little reminder. Paul wrote to the church in Rome to tell them that every single person who has ever lived and walked this earth is guilty of something called sin. Sin is where we put I in the middle, S-I-N. It's where we go my way instead of God's way. And every single person is guilty of this. That's the charge, guilty of sin. But here's the good news that Paul says. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, we can be justified. We can be made righteous instead of being guilty. And so Paul is, is taking this idea and he's carrying it through now into chapter 8. And so as we read these words, this serves in many senses as the conclusion to those first five and indeed those first seven chapters of Romans. So look, Romans 8 verse 1, let us read. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, would you bring these words to light this morning by the power of your Spirit? And would you speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. This week has been a headline news story that has been pretty tragic. It's that of the former USA and Michigan State Gymnastics doctor, Larry Nassar, who was sentenced to between 40 and 175 years in prison based upon the testimony of over 150 women and young girls who say that he had abused them over the past two decades. Perhaps, though, the couple of things about the trial that really, really stood out to me, the first was the words that the judge used when she passed down the sentence to him. She said these words, I have just signed your death warrant. I have just signed your death warrant. That was the condemnation which he was under. But more amazing than that for me actually was the the testimony of the the very first athlete to be bold enough to step out and accuse Nassar of the crimes that he had committed. Her name is Rachel Den Hollander. And she was given the privilege of being the last person to testify on on the floor of the court. And I want you to listen to a short portion of her testimony. In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom, and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness, and so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know that the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness, but Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things. 
as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror, without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible you carry says it is better for a millstone to be thrown around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble. And you have damaged hundreds. The Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and its eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. That is the crazy good news of the gospel. That if Larry Nassar turns in repentance to Jesus Christ, he will find grace and hope, and mercy. And if that is true for Larry Nassar, that is true for you and for me. It doesn't matter what you've done or left undone. It doesn't matter what you've said or left unsaid. It doesn't matter even what you've thought. If you are in Christ, the death sentence which you signed yourself by your own actions, has been torn up. And you are free from condemnation. And it doesn't matter if you've been as bad as Larry Nassar or as good as Mother Teresa, because every single one of us has fallen short of God's standard of perfection. Perfectly loving God, perfectly loving neighbor. And every single one of us is guilty of falling short. And yet, and yet, here comes the words of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, you are free from any condemnation. That death warrant, that death sentence, it is gone. You stand free. And that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have now been transferred from the realm of death to the realm of life. That is what verse 2 tells us. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Law in this verse, Paul is talking about a principle or a power or an authority. He uses it in the same way at the end of chapter 7. What he's saying is, by the power and authority of the spirit of life, you've been set free in Christ Jesus from the power and authority of sin and death. You were on death row. You were awaiting that sentence of death, but you have been set free. Your chains have been broken, and you now walk in the land of the living. Yesterday was Holocaust Memorial Day, and this week I heard a story from Auschwitz that I want to share with you. It begins on July 31st, 1941. Alarm bells were ringing out in cell block 14. A prisoner had escaped. 
In retaliation for this, the Gestapo rounded up 10 men arbitrarily and sentenced them to die in a starvation bunker. The ninth man selected was Francis Gajewniczek. And as his name was called out, he cried, Oh, my poor wife and children, they'll never see me again. At this moment, a short Polish man with wireframe glasses stepped forward out of the line, took off his cap, and said, I'm a Catholic priest. I have no wife and children. Let me die in this man's place. And to the amazement of those gathered there, the guards accepted his offer. That man was Maximilian Kolbe. He was aged 47. And he was an amazing guy. You know, he took those 10 men that went to the starvation bunker and and he got them praying and, and singing hymns. And apparently the atmosphere in there was just electric. It was a place of life, not a place of death. But yet, 15 days later, on August 14th, they needed the starvation bunker for something else. And so Maximilian Kolbe died via a lethal injection. 41 years later, October 10th, 1982, Maximilian Kolbe's death was put in its proper place in history. In St. Peter's Square in Rome, 150,000 people were gathered together, 26 cardinals, 300 bishops and archbishops, and among them was one Francis Gajewniczek, the man who walked away with his life. And on that day, the Pope described the death of Maximilian Kolbe as like the victory won by our Lord Jesus Christ, because Maximilian Kolbe died for someone else instead of someone else. Francis Gajewniczek lived to be 93 years old, and he spent most of his life going around telling the world about what Maximilian Kolbe had done for him, about how one man had sacrificed himself so that he might walk free from death and into life. And that is our story as well. One man, Jesus, sacrificed himself for us that we might be transferred from the realm of death and into the realm of life. Verse 3 says this, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son, In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. As a man, he came. And yet he was not like any other human being who ever lived because he did not sin. In fact, he perfectly fulfilled the requirement of the law. He perfectly loved God. He perfectly loved neighbor. There was no condemnation, no guilt due to him. And yet upon him was placed the condemnation that was rightfully ours. 
He was our sin offering. God gave him for sin. And Jesus received our death sentence that we might receive his life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have now been taken from that realm of sin and death. And we have been transferred to the realm of life. We now stand free of the condemnation, the death sentence that we were under. And we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That is the good news of the gospel. When we were in England in November, as many of you know, my wife and I had to go to the U.S. Embassy in London to renew our visa, and it was denied. It was denied because the officer who was interviewing us determined that we demonstrated an intent to permanently immigrate to the U.S., and yet the visa we were applying for was a, was a two-year visa. So we were not doing what we were supposed to be. That was not true. We didn't intend to permanently immigrate to the United States. And we couldn't believe the verdict, the sentence that was given us. Our attorney couldn't believe it either. Now, we were innocent, and yet we were being condemned as illegal immigrants. And that condemnation was really hard to live under. Being condemned to, to never stepping foot in the U.S. again. Being condemned to, to never going back to our house again. Being condemned to never seeing our friends again. Being condemned to never stepping foot in our church again. And as the days wore on, we began to ask ourselves questions. Are we really innocent? But like, really? Do we really believe that? Like, maybe we did something wrong. Maybe we said something wrong. But the more we read, the more we researched, the more counsel we took, the more we, could, we couldn't find anything. We're innocent. And yet we stood condemned. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning who feels the same thing spiritually who knows that they're innocent because of what Jesus has done, and yet you still feel like you're living under a sentence of condemnation. You still feel like you're living condemned. You might believe that Jesus died for your sins, but you don't feel worthy enough to receive God's love. You don't feel good enough to receive God's gifts. You don't feel free enough to receive God's blessings. You might believe it up here, but maybe it hasn't sunk down into here. I think this is something we all experience at points in our spiritual journey. This sense of condemnation that, that is not rightfully ours because we are free of it. And yet, so often we end up living under it. Now why is that? Why does that happen to us? Because we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. Jesus has won the decisive victory. We've been transferred from the realm of sin and death to the realm of life. But our spiritual enemy, Satan, who knows he's lost, who knows he can't get us back, is doing everything he can to keep us from believing that this is the case. To keep us from believing that we are free from condemnation. You know, it's a little bit like this. 
At one time we were living in a dump, the realm of sin and death. But God now has, has transferred us out of the dump and he's brought us into the kingdom of God. And we live in a house in the kingdom of God. And yeah, we make trash. We still sin. But you know what we do? We take that trash and we put it on the curbside and it gets taken away to the dump. Far away. But here's what Satan does. He goes to the dump and he grabs that bag of trash, which was formerly ours. And he comes back and he stands on our curbside of our house. And he starts grabbing these pieces of trash and he starts throwing them in our front yard. And as he's doing that, he's calling out what these pieces of trash are. That website that you clicked on. Yeah, I saw it. Those words you said behind someone's back. Yeah, I know about that. That kid you beat up. Yeah, I saw it. I know who you are. That bitterness that you're holding in your heart against the person who wronged you. That boyfriend or girlfriend or someone you weren't married to that you did things with that you never should have done. Yeah. You're not good enough. You're not free enough. And yet, he has no right, no right to do this. Because we are free from condemnation, and yet he keeps bringing condemnation upon us. And you know what the worst thing is? We just stand there and take it. We just let it happen to us. We just let these words, these lies wash over us. And we do nothing about it. Church, we are in a battle The victory, the decisive victory has been won on the cross. But this battle is not going to be over until Jesus comes again. And so we must fight against the schemes of the enemy. We must fight his condemnation, which he has no right to bring because you are in Christ Jesus and you are free from condemnation. We must fight against his condemnation and we must fight it with confrontation. You know, if someone was actually standing on your curb and was throwing trash into your yard, what would you do? You'd get out there and confront them. You'd tell them, get the heck out my yard and take your trash with you. You have no right to be here. This is private property. Well, the same is true in your spiritual life. Satan has no right to be there, standing on your curb, throwing trash in your yard. You are free from condemnation. So you talk back to him and you tell him, be gone, Satan, in Jesus' name. You have no right to be here. My sin was paid for on the cross, and I now stand free of condemnation. What you were bringing up doesn't exist anymore. Jesus took that upon himself on the cross. Be gone. <laughs> Memorize Romans 8.1. Hold it in your hearts. Use it in that internal dialogue that's going on. Tell him the truth. Don't let him bring the lies. But I wonder as well if for some of us, there's more to it than just confrontation. Because for some of us, there are things in our lives that we've done 
that we're afraid of other people knowing about. You know, it's almost like this trash that's out there, you know, it's, it's not ours anymore, but at one time it was. And we're afraid that if we step outside and confront Satan, our neighbors are going to see what was formerly our trash, and they're going to judge us, and they're going to condemn us. And so we hide it. We hide this stuff. We pretend it doesn't exist. We keep it concealed. Satan loves nothing more than concealed sin because he can twist that and he can use that to even greater power and effect. He can tell us, man, if they knew, if they knew what you were like, they'd want nothing to do with you. Man, that church would kick you out straight away. They'd disown you in an instant. But it's a lie. It doesn't matter if you've been as bad as Larry Nassar or as good as Mother Teresa. We've all fallen short of God's standards. Every single one of us is guilty of sin. And we have no right to condemn one another. And so Satan takes that and he twists it. And I tell you, if you are covering something up, if you are concealing something, Satan is using that for his own purposes. And so not only do we need to fight condemnation with confrontation, but we need to fight condemnation with confession. We must be willing to confess our sins one to another. We must be willing to bring out of the darkness and into the light what we so desperately don't want others to know. Because I know what it's like to live with it in the darkness. And when you live with it in the darkness, that condemnation might be yours, but you don't feel it. That freedom from guilt might be yours, but you don't feel it. All you feel is guilt and shame and condemnation because that is what Satan is trying to tell you. But when you bring that stuff out into the light, when you confess it to someone else, when you bring it out, the freedom is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's like a weight drops. And you know, you know, but you know, but you know the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. But as long as you keep it hidden, as long as you can see that Satan's going to twist it and turn it and make you live in false condemnation. We must fight condemnation with confession. And so this morning, I want us to have an opportunity to do just that. In a moment, we're going to sing a song, we're going to take an offering, we're all going to stand to do that, and as we do, our prayer team and elders, they're going to be like over by the doors on the side, and there might be some of them in the balcony, and they're they're here this morning because they want to see you experience the freedom that is rightfully yours in Jesus, and I want us to create a safe space where if you have been hiding something, and you want that freedom, and you know you're not going to get that freedom until you bring that into the light, I, I want to create a safe space where you can do just that. Where you can come and share that with someone. Where they can say to you the words of Jesus to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Because that's what, that's what we need to be saying to one another. And a space where they're going to keep that confidential. Unless someone's in danger, they're not going to tell another soul what you tell them. because I want freedom for us this morning. And I want to create a space in which that can happen. And maybe the person you need to confess to is sitting right next to you. Maybe that's who you need to confess to. And maybe this morning you need to have a conversation with your spouse, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and confess to them what's been going on. But we will not experience the freedom that is rightfully ours until we bring that sin into the light. 
we will not experience it. It's there. It's there, all right? You're free from it. You're free from guilt. You're free from shame. You're free from the condemnation, the death sentence. But you will not know it. You will not experience it in your heart until you are willing to bring into the light what has been kept in the darkness. So we must fight. We must fight condemnation. We must fight it with confrontation, and we must fight it with confession. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you, if you are in Christ, you don't have to live under that anymore. It is gone. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning and we can't thank you enough and praise you enough for what you did through your son Jesus on the cross. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation. Thank you, God, for the cross. That our sin, the condemnation, the guilt, the shame, all of it, was taken upon the one who didn't deserve it so that we might receive exactly what he deserved, life and freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God, this morning, I pray that your spirit would be at work. If there are areas of our life that we've been hiding, God, I pray that you reveal that to us. Bitterness, resentment, actions that we've done, things that we've said, whatever it is, God, that you would be pulling that out of us, God, and that you would help us to confess that, not only to you, but confess to one another so that it's in the light, it's out there, and Satan can't use it any longer, and we can know the freedom that there is in Christ Jesus. And I pray that you would give us boldness to talk back to Satan, to tell him, you have no right to be here. Get the heck out of my yard. In Jesus' name, I am free. I am free. And this morning, God, I pray that we would know whom the sun sets free. He is free indeed. And we would know that freedom in Christ Jesus. God, have your way in this place. Lord, I pray for those who aren't going to come forward, God, that you would soften their hearts towards those who are coming forward, that you wouldn't give us a a spirit of judgment as we watch others come to confess, that we wouldn't be thinking about what have they done, what are they confessing. God, that, that you would release us from that now. God, that this may be a safe place and that there may be freedom in this room, freedom from fear, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from condemnation in Christ Jesus. So God, would you have your way, we pray.